Noble Knight, where out of print is available again, and listeners like you, thanks for using the Tome's Amazon and DD Classics affiliate links. Hi, this is Sean Merwin, freelancer for Wizards of the Coast, and you're listening to the Tome. Welcome to the Tome, a DD news, reviews, and interview show, and I'm your Tome host, Jeff Greiner. And I'm Tracy Hurley, and in this episode, number 224, we're... Ah! Oh dear, it seems someone's been murdered, here in the city of Baldur's Gate. That's right. We're talking about the adventure product Murder in Baldur's Gate, the first product Watsi has given us like this in quite some time. Ah, uh, the classic tome review of a game book. I've missed you. And joining us today is our, our esteemed panel of experts, including our own editor, Sam Dillon. Hello. And YouTuber and from Dungeons and Donuts, Kyle Chenier. Oh man! <laughs> <laughs> Great to be here. All right, cool. Uh, this adventure is both a game product for all to enjoy, as well as the new encounter season, and it's also going to be deciding the future of the Forgotten Realms as we navigate the Sundering. That's some real shoes to fill, but before we fill them. Let's uh, fill everyone in on our sponsor, Noble Knight Games. Noble Knight is a game store where you can get all the out-of-print stuff you want and new game products as well. Our pick for the episode is, well, the product we're reviewing, Murder in Boulder's Gate. $7 off and available now. So if you listen to the review and it sounds interesting to you, swing by and grab a copy for yourself and tell them the Tome Show sent you. Noble Knight is a long-standing game store specializing in finding out-of-print games while also offering the newest great releases. Including D&D? They got it from any edition. That's right, all of them. What if I want a board game? Card game, minis, or dice? Noble Knight has it all and at a discounted price. In fact, Noble Knight has over 30,000 unique items on stock. And you know you can trust this Better Business Bureau accredited store with a satisfaction guarantee. Yeah, but I've bought too many things over the years. How can I justify spending even more? Good thing we're talking about Noble Knight, then. They'll buy your old gaming things and offer you cash or trade, so you'll be able to keep up with all the great gaming stuff you want. Check them out at noblenight.com. Wow, I'll go today. And be sure to tell them the Tome Show sent you. And we're back. Ah! Okay, stop it. Let's just talk about Murder in Boulder's Gate. <laughs> all right, so let's get into it. First of all, uh, to to make sure we understand where everybody's coming from here, I'd like everybody to sort of discuss your experience with the product. So, Sam, go. Okay, um, I have read the product. I when I okay, so background. 
I have been saying for years that I really wish Watsi would sell the Encounter seasons, you know, the the product. Even if they did it after the Encounter season, if they would just sell it, I would buy it. But I didn't have a game store in my town where I could go run it, so I never had access to that product unless I wanted to pay like 80 bucks on eBay for that, and I'm just not into that. So I've been saying, sell it, sell it, sell it. So I was really excited when they announced that they were going to sell the next Encounter season, and I got really excited. And then... They announced it, and then more information came out, and they said, oh, okay, and it's going to be for three different editions, 4th edition, 3.5, and D&D Next. And I thought, oh, okay, well, that, that might work. That that sounds pretty interesting. That's that's pretty brave and brazen to do that. Let's see what happens. And then I found out that it had no maps, no tokens, none of the sort of things that you normally would get in a 4th edition encounter season packet, and I was kind of disappointed. So uh, I wrote about I wrote on my blog about how you know, they shouldn't be marketing this as a fourth edition product because it's really not like the other fourth edition encounter seasons and it's not like a fourth edition of product. Um, and then I I went ahead and bit the bullet and bought it anyway. And uh, and I've read it. And so I have some really interesting things to say about it, but I'll let everybody else give their intros before we get into the actual product. All right. Uh, I'll go next. Uh, my experience with this product is that I, I've read through it, um, and it's worth noting for as full disclosure, I did not pay for this copy. I got a copy from Watsi um, through my through my sources while I was there at Gen Con. I got a copy from them. Um, I, so I've read through the product, uh, and I have – I don't know. I, I don't know that I would say extensive, but I have uh, a lengthy breadth of knowledge of the realms as well and, and the history of the realms and as well as this region of the realms. So that's my, my – background on that kyle uh i've lived it kids um i uh picked <laughs> up the product um i've run it i've read through it um i've uh done my own critiques on my uh, tumblr and uh actually later tonight i'm gonna be running the uh third session of it tonight right on so you're, you're our you're our our keynote person here we were supposed to have a couple of people on that have run it and, and somebody had to cancel at the last minute so we're going to be leaning on you heavily to see how it runs no problem tracy I've, I haven't run it. I've, I've read it. I uh, read both the campaign and the adventure books. I don't know much about Baldur's Gate other than my brother loved to play the video game. <laughs> so I don't, I don't necessarily know how, how much uh, is new in this versus just existing lore. And so, yeah. I should also say I'm not, um, I'm not terribly familiar with um, some, like most of the Forgotten Realms. Um, like I know Baldur's Gate as a place, I know it exists. I know that there are video games done by Bioware. Um, I don't think I've played them, um, except for maybe one for like the PS2 that I played for like a weekend while I was drunk with friends. So, um, <laughs> not wasn't hugely. Uh, uh, I didn't really know a whole lot about Baldur's Gate to begin with. So okay, cool. So I, I my Forgotten Realms experience is, um, of course, I have the the old gray first edition Forgotten Realms box set so i've no i know a lot about the realms but i don't play in the realms so i don't run my games in the realms i have my own homebrew world uh but i've been exposed to it for you know going on 30 years now so Absolutely. and i played the, i played the video game which is one of the best video C- crpgs that has ever been produced but anyway cool no, 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 that's great. I think, I think we have a wide breadth of, of experiences, uh, both with the, the setting and with the history and with the product itself. And I think that'll be useful for us. 
Uh, let's start off by, by uh, briefly describing what exactly this product is. When I, when I go out and purchase Murder in Baldur's Gate, what am I getting? Um, basically, what you get in the package uh, for, depending on the prices, they, uh, you can get it a bit cheaper on the internet, but it's usually anywhere from uh, 30 to uh, 34 99 plus tax. Um, in that, you get two booklets and a uh, sort of a, a stiff cardboard Dungeon Master screen. Uh, two booklets are the adventure, and the other booklet is a campaign setting, which is basically a 60-plus page book about what Baldur's Gate is and what's in it. Uh, the uh, adventure itself runs for, I believe... Levels 1 to 3. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's for characters level 1 to 3. Um, it runs for about 12 to 13 sort of episodes or stages, about par for the course for what you would expect with uh, D&D encounters. Um, but because it's a city adventure, it affords sort of a lot more uh, sort of exploration, a lot sort of um, basically you can sort of uh, make a lot uh, more choices and things. And as Sam noted, uh, it is like the, the actual product that you would be purchasing is basically systemless. Mm-hmm. Um, and then you can download the stat blocks from Wizards' website that has stats for uh, 3.5 4th edition and next. Mm-hmm. In, you can the- also you can also download a special events packet that w- they give several more sort of in here the sort of the sections of play are called stages and in this uh, this events pack that you can download it gives like two or three more events that you can throw in at the different stages and feature different NPCs. Mhm. And extend extend it out a little bit longer if you mm-hmm. needed, if you wanted to you know make this a, a mini a whole mini campaign or whatever. Yeah. Right on. Uh, so now this this product also represents uh, a bit of a shift, a bit of a change in the encounters program. Like Sam sort of alluded to in his introduction, um, encounters for a long time has been. Uh, many things, but but one of the things has been is it's been a chance for organized play, uh, supported by Wizards of the Coast in game stores, and this is the first time they've actually sold the product. So anybody who wants to run it can run it. Um, so you know, you I can buy it, I can um, run can it I- in, in my in my home and, and have some of the same experience, not out in the game store. Mm-hmm. Can I say one other thing is that uh, and this is not necessarily widely known because it's not really advertised like this, but uh, I. Um, I was uh, on Twitter talking to Greg Billsland ab- about the the lack of maps that I was bemoaning earlier, uh, and we got into a, a relatively short conversation, but it was informative. And one of the things that he said was they made a distinct, um, focused decision to make this product for non-beginner DMs. Yeah. So uh, if you're planning on buying this product to sort of be your entry into being a DM, I'm, I am I don't know that this is the best product. So it's not really on the package that it's not for beginners or that it doesn't say intermediate anywhere or anything like that. But it's really not for new DMs yeah, I can see uh, that. unless you have years of playing experience. I'm not sure that it would be a, a good uh, – so just, yeah, just to I let don't think people it's know. even for intermediate DMs to be honest. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a fairly advanced yeah. adventure to run, which is where a lot of the interesting bits get in, and, and we'll mm-hmm. definitely get into that. I, I'm sure. just curious uh, if anybody has any um, thoughts on the idea of the Encounters program. Do we sort of get that out of the way and then and then get into focusing on what the product is um, as I've been, a whole? I've been running Encounters for – I've probably run about half a dozen seasons of Encounters in mm-hmm. uh, Toronto, Ontario. And because uh, I think there's only like a handful of stores down there that actually run it. I thought I smelled um, some Canadian on you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Um, but yeah, it's um, Encounters was a very sort of structured um, example of play. Like you come out every Wednesday night, you play for about two hours. There's a little bit of exploration, and there's always like a fight at the end. Um, people that like, because there are people that like they exclusively play Encounters. That's like mm-hmm. all that they do when mm-hmm. it comes to D anD D. And they always kind of complain, me through, oh, I wish Encounters was different. I wish we could do more of this or more of that. Um, but that said, they are always there to play it, regardless of their criticisms of it. Um, and this uh, season, Murder in Baldur's Gate, is a really big departure. Um, mm-hmm. Some might say for the worse, depending on what they uh, they want out of D&D. And some might say for the better. Um, personally, I kind of like that it affords a lot more uh, freedom for the players. Hmm. Okay. And I know a lot there when it was first announced and, and as it's been launched now, there was a lot of hoopla as to now having to pay for it, whereas Encounters used to be a free program. Um, I'm, I'm curious um, if there, anybody has heard any blowback on that or, or where that's gone or if it's just sort of faded into the background at this point. I heard more blowback from the actual announcement um, and ICV2, the, the yep. sort of uh, the industry watchdog or reporter. They're not really a watchdog, but yeah. they they posted a couple of articles about it, uh, a couple of news bits about it. And there was a lot of blowback, it seemed like, at that point. But, you know, I haven't really heard anyone complain. I, ha- I haven't heard – of course, I haven't been sitting in my local game store either because I don't really have one. But sure. uh, I, in terms of my friends and people that I talk to and people I know on Twitter and on the internet and people that I – converse with because of my blog no one's really concerned about it at this point it's it's a quality project uh enough that you know what the 30 bucks or whatever you pay it's it's high enough quality that people aren't complaining about it okay good so let's go ahead and get into the product itself uh most people by the time they're hearing this um the chance that you're that you've gotten in at the beginning of an encounter season at a game store is probably fairly slim um but the product is probably still for sale so there's a chance you could still go out and buy it. There's a still chance, a chance that you could play it. There's still a chance that you could use it and participate in sort of the uh, guiding the future of the realm's uh, decision-making stuff as well. Um, so there might be some interest in people to, to pick up this product. Yes. Let's talk about and, it. But also, uh, just to interrupt you again, Jeff, uh, the, they just announced the next what the next season is, and it's the second sort of kit. And it's pretty much like this, but it's taking place in uh, Neverwinter or mm-hmm. – yeah, in Icewind Dale. So uh, it's a similar thing. So if this sounds good to you, you might want to check out that and get in at the ground floor of that one, which will be starting uh, in November. Good call. So let's get into it. What do we like? What do we not like? What's going on with this thing? What's weird? Well, I guess what I would say is I did not find it worth the money I paid for it. Oh. So. Uh, Damn, Tracy doling out the harshness. I right know. <laughs> uh, so, so yeah, I actually wanted... So why, why not? Why, what didn't you like? Uh, well, for one, there was no indication that it was for advanced DMs. Mm-hmm. I have no... Uh, I have no real interest... No, nothing about the adventure actually pulled me into running it. Um, or wanting to run it. It... it and I understand that a lot of that is because they're trying to do this whole sundering decision thing, but I just don't care. Mm. You know, <laughs> it, it was actually the the design that pulled me in more than the story. Because I've, uh, 
I've oftentimes wanted to see if I could design some sort of an adventure wherein events are happening regardless of whether the PCs are interacting with it and they can choose what to interact with and not. And th- this is what they've s- tried to do here in a way that I've not seen in a published adventure before. And- I think I've, I've seen something similar in uh, some of the in some of the dungeon adventures or maybe something that uh, mm. like Logan Bonner would have worked on. Sure. Uh, but but also you only have limited impact (laughs) like Mm. you're kind of involved in stuff that's going on but not really and then on top of it there's no real support for the dm in figuring out uh how to bring that information to your players Mm -hmm. i found okay uh like there are kind of hints later like way after a session about oh yeah there's this guy and he probably knows a lot and your players should probably eventually find out about him but you've already gone four sessions. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, I, don't, I don't entirely disagree with you. I, I feel like this is a, a, a an odd sort of adventure in that it, it does some things that I find in, incredibly interesting and compelling, and it does some things that remind me of the worst I've seen in adventures. And know? then on top of it, it's way more expensive than most of the hardback books that I bought. Hmm. And and most of those come with with maps and things if they're adventures. Yeah, so th- that's the main reason. Uh, m- many of the main reasons why. That I, I just I was like at the end of it, uh, I I felt like they should have put more in for the money, particularly uh, you know at least uh, some sort of mapping of of what was going on with those with each session, mm-hmm. and throwing in hey it would be cool to throw this NPC in here maybe, <laughs> mm. or, or or something like mm-hmm. that. And also there wasn't a clear explanation of how to deal with um, so your your PCs make choices. Uh, of who to help and like who to get involved with, mm-hmm. uh, and it constantly says like this happens if the PCs fail or if they just decide not to do something. And I know I understand that those events happen regardless of of regardless like they, mm-hmm. they just happen. But um, if they happen and the PCs afterwards are like, well, how would I have known to, get, to have gotten involved? I could see some stuff there. Yeah, and that's and that's where I think Kyle's uh, insight here is going to be helpful because because I I could totally see some of that right that that if you didn't go down a certain path there are things happening that you don't even are, you're not even aware of let alone could oh, stop. Oh yeah, um, and I'm curious how that how that plays out at the table. Um, so far, and actually, if you want to see, um, I've got a YouTube channel. All of the games that I run for Murder in Baldur's Gate are done over uh, Google Plus on Air Hangouts. So you can watch them. You can actually watch the, this entire season go by with the group I'm playing it with. Um, and, yeah, there's a lot. Like, basically, my players so far have sided more or less with um, Reese LaRail, who is a representative of basically what amounts to, like, the Thieves Guild mm-hmm. in Baldur's Gate. They're actually just called the Guild mm-hmm. because... Wait. Uh, they're super good at naming things in Baldur's Gate, apparently. <laughs> Jesus. Um, and so far, they've done a couple of jobs for them. But in the last session, they also ran into some people. Um, they ran into some vandals on the streets of the lower city. And they decided, well, these people are messing up the town, and now they're threatening us. Uh, let's just kill them. And uh, a bunch of them did. Um, and that pissed off the guild. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, basically, you can have um, a whole bunch of things happen in a session, um, and depending on how the players handle it, uh, that will sort of cause different reactions for the um, 
the sorry the um, basically the different patrons of the city and how they're going to treat mm-hmm. the players. It also brings up the interesting point that it it feels like a lot of what the adventure expects players to be wanting to do is to stop people from from dying. Mm-hmm. You know, to, mm-hmm. to to not kill. There's a, there's an active in, well there's a, there's a, an active yet behind the scenes incentive to stop murders, to stop people from dying, which is honestly very counter to a lot of a lot of uh, gaming groups and how people are used to playing D anD. d You know, so I feel like it, well, that, that's where the advanced DMing comes in a little well, bit, right? And, and, well, so that's the thing, though, is that the DM understands and knows from reading it that there's an active like disincentive to murder. But honestly, if that's what the players end up doing, really, the only disincentive is that they might get thrown in jail. Mm-hmm. And then it gives a way for them to be able to get out of jail. So it really, there's not a huge disincentive from the player's point of view. There, as a dungeon master, you can put that in there, but it. I don't think, like having read it through a couple times, I don't think uh, it's. It might not be cooked in right into the adventure. Um, like, hey, if your players do this, you know, here's a consequence. Like, they will stop getting money from this place, or several mm-hmm. places in the city will be closed off to them. Um, although there are, there are, there are, there, although there are several quests where they're given a quest or whatever, and then the person tells them, "Please do this without killing." Mm-hmm. So, so it is, it is explicit in a few places. Well, but the consequences for not following yeah. that aren't right, necessarily. That's, that's what I'm saying. The, yeah. the disincentive yeah. is just if the person who is your patron at the moment who wants to hire you to do this job says, "Please try to reduce the amount of bloodshed," you know, but. Mm-hmm. If you end up so, slaughtering, you know, the five lamp carriers or whatever, right. then, you know, yeah, the is, only problem is, is if you get caught by the flame and they throw you in jail. Right. So <laughs> for me, the problem is, is I pick up a published adventure because I don't have a lot of time to do all this DM work. Mm-hmm. Um, like that, that would be why I would pick up a published adventure. And the fact that I feel like I have to do even more work with this one than I would if I just ran in my own world. I kind of completely agree with Tracy here. That's, I mean, my biggest criticism with, because I'm, I'm having a blast running it, but it's more because I'm putting the stuff that I want to be in the adventure in there. Mm-hmm. Um, my biggest criticism with this and with a couple other published adventures is that it feels like the people that wrote this, they wrote a book uh, or they wrote like a long story. Um, that book or that long story does not always equal a game. Mm. Um, like, 13 or so sessions in the future, like, um, we may get to the end of it and, well, that was a really great story, but was it a good, was it a fun game to play? Did the characters have a lot of chance to, you know, dig into this world or do a lot of stuff? And I don't think that they do. See, I, I feel like, um, so my, my main thought when I was reading this was this is a, this is a setting book. This is it's like the Neverwinter hardback the you know from from 4th edition it's a setting book it's a setting book with a bunch of NPCs in it and it has some ideas about things that could happen and if you're going to run them in encounters you of course should be following you know their whatever format their suggested stages or what have you but honestly when I was reading it and I was thinking this is a this is a setting what I could take these and put these in my own large city in my own you know campaign world and it would work you know, I would have to tweak it a whole bunch, but it would work because they already know NPCs in that town and they already know, you know, how things work and how the guards are and how, you know, uh, the class system works and all that stuff in terms of, you know, lower income, middle income, whatever. Um, but yeah, if you're, 
if you're, I mean, I guess the, for me, the striking thing is if I wanted to run encounters before this season, I could literally walk into the game store and if they had an open table and they had a packet, I could just open it up and run it mm. without, you know, with 10 minutes prep. And this, I, I would be prepping at least, you know, a couple hours every week, at least. Hmm. And I, don't, I don't know that I would need that much prep, but I, but I think there's a lot of initial prep. Well, that I, I would do. because you have to keep it in Baldur's Gate if you're going to really be running encounters. Uh, that's true, right? So and, I would have, you know, and someone who doesn't know who doesn't know Baldur's Gate very well, and I know Baldur's Gate, but I don't know it well enough to run it in a game, so I'd have to prep it. And Kyle, have so has your group decided who their patrons are as a group, or okay. has it been individual people? It comes down to a couple of things. Like, and the thing is, uh, this is an adventure that, although it's being set up for organized play, I don't know that it really works all that well for organized play, just because of the nature of how it's written and Mm -hmm. how it's presented. Um, How I run things on Google Plus is actually kind of similar to organized play, because I've got like maybe uh, two or three players that will reliably at least try and be there every week. Um, aside from that, I got people from Google plus popping in like every so often or, um, Mm. like every couple of sessions or maybe just once. And, um, the way that I'm doing it so far is that they have like the favor of say two patrons right now. Um, both of them are willing to, you know, pay them for jobs. Um, but at this point, both patrons are a little wary. Um, so basically it comes down to each session if there's say, an event where a patron needs to call on the characters to perform a task or speak to them at some point, they will. Um, until they do, because we're only on maybe the third session right now, mm-hmm. um, until they do something really drastic that's going to piss one of them off, um, those avenues are still kind of open. Mm-hmm. And I'm trying to keep them uh, as open as possible. Yeah, it does occur to me that if you had a rotating group of players, you know, from session to session, that this would be a very different story. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's the that's the big thing is because you would have to. I feel like you might even have to break people up into scenes if they're just mm-hmm. after like mm-hmm. if they're just working for different patrons, nah. um, sort of thing. I, uh, if you and, want to try and like keep the the so called sort of integrity of this story, oh yeah, you would totally have to. Um, I don't care. Right. I really <laughs> don't care about this. Mm-hmm. Like I'm and, trying to run a fun game, right. and the, all these things will still be happening in the background. Um, but I don't imagine a lot of my player, uh, my players are that heavily invested in like, they're there to play D and D they're there to, you know, you know, get some treasure, have some fun, do some cool questing stuff, maybe fight some, you know, NPCs or some bad guys and stuff. Um, they're, as far as I'm aware, they're not terribly invested in like the future of Baldur's Gate. Right. The other thing too, cause we're talking about the integrity of the story and also, mm-hmm. Uh, we've we've talked a little bit about uh, how the how D and D and encounters has been in the past. It struck me as really weird reading this. Uh, the level of access first level characters get just because <laughs> of, mm-hmm. of because what they happens were there. in the initial scene. Yeah, you were in the right place at the right time and at the very beginning of the adventure, and suddenly your your heroes and everybody just bends over backwards for you. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. In, in in the same time, like. Um, so there's there's the, this opening scene with this important NPC character uh, in the very beginning who's giving a you know a big speech or whatever right, and that and that is sort of the one or or 
the one sort of cameo of uh, of a character from the Baldur's Gate series. Right. Mm-hmm. And that was the, you know, that NPC was was a big deal in that series. And then you look at his stats and he's like a level 1 NPC. Yeah, I saw that like, today. I looked wait, at his wait, stats wait and I went, "What?" <laughs> that doesn't make sense at all. <laughs> Well, it's about it's about wiping the slate clean and everything. Right, absolutely. I mean, like, um, I'm aware of some of the events of uh, Baldur's Gate One and Baldur's Gate Two, mm-hmm. and their various expansions made by Bioware because I really like them as a company. Um, but I'm not terribly interested in those characters, or and I certainly know that a bunch of my players aren't. Um, and if you're if you're coming in off the street and everything, and you're like you have no idea what Baldur's Gate is all about, aside mm-hmm. from the fact that it's a city in a medieval fantasy world, then yeah, the death of Abdul Adrian is not all that important. Mm-hmm. No, absolutely. And, and, and as somebody who is familiar with the games and, and played through part of the first one, but never finished it. Like I never got to, you know, the bit and I'd heard sort of through the grapevine and sort of how it all plays out, but I never actually experienced that. So it wasn't a huge deal to me. And I still felt like I, I understood what was going on in the adventure fairly, fairly well. I think it was well explained. Um, so there was no confusion because I didn't have that background. Um, but yeah, so, so it, it, I think it all works out in terms of that. I don't, I don't think, and I don't think there was a lot of trouble with getting lost because of my, because of, of, there's too much realms lore or whatever. I think any realms lore you need is pretty well explained in the adventure. Mm. I also found this adventure to be, on one hand, one of the most sandboxy adventures I've seen from Watsi before. Yeah. And, on, and on the other hand, one of the most railroady adventures I've ever seen from Watsi. <laughs> I totally agree. I think, yeah. and I think this actually speaks to what Tracy was saying earlier that yes. really, ultimately, the choices of the players do they really matter? I right. mean, you know, the, so just big spoiler alert um, the whole point is to, uh, to, determine who is going to who, which of the sort of people in the in the story are going to become the the next spawn of ball or whatever the chosen and chosen of ball. the chosen of ball sorry and so uh so the chosen of ball and then and then the, of course the players the expectation is oh that per, the the chosen of ball is going to come into power and you're going to have to defeat that person um, and then the idea is, oh, every every team, every game that the game group that goes through this, they're going to write into Watsi and they're going to say, oh, in our game, this person became the chosen. And then whoever, you know, the the person who, the most groups had that person be the chosen of Bolt. That's what's going to actually go down into the canon. Right. The, like that's the shtick of the thing. But although, ultimately, although, if I can interject, um, yeah. If I, and I looked briefly at the sort of reporting process mm-hmm. for the whole thing mm-hmm. and i think yeah. they're they're looking at more more detailed dis, um decision points than just that too mm-hmm. uh, it looks like they're asking you to to give them feedback and in, information about what your group is doing uh throughout the process not just at the end okay well but, but, but in, yes. in any in any case you know ultimately it's it's almost a binary like the the things that happen lead to as much as it's a sandboxy based on what you can do Ultimately, the important choices are almost binary, and you either do this thing or you do not, and it leads to this thing. It leads you to a certain direction, but this other stuff still continues to happen. You don't really affect it. It doesn't – you know, it's it's as though the canon's already been written except for that tiny little piece at the end, and that's what you're 
right. playing for. Yeah, so the whole adventure is set up into ten different stages and then a finale. And each stage, there's you know two to three events happening at each stage, and and those events are going to happen. And sometimes the PCs are asked to make them happen, and sometimes the PCs might have the opportunity to stop them from happening. But you know, unless the PCs intervene, these events are happening, and it feels like like I even got to one point where I might have been stage two or three. It was fairly early on, and it was a lot of well, this is happening, mm-hmm. and and the PCs could could theoretically do absolutely nothing in that entire stage, mm-hmm. not interact with any of it, and and don't right. have really strong incentives to interact with any of it, and and nothing changes, and, and so on that regard, it's like. I appreciate the the sandboxiness of it of there's stuff happening and you can do what you want with it, uh, but on the other hand, if there's no incentive to do something about it, you know. Well, see, that's that's the problem with it being an encounters series. I mean, yeah. so and that's why, as I read it, I thought, oh, I could put this into my you know one of my large towns, the, the ideas that are in here, mm-hmm. because in that case, my game group is already really wedded to the setting. Yeah. They really they really are interested in you know it's two of the characters' hometown. You know, so they would really care if this kind of crap started happening in their hometown because it would affect their family, it would affect their history, it would affect their friends, it would be meaningful to those players and to their PCs, right? Mm-hmm. Um, whereas this being an encounter season, if you've got the revolving door of players coming in, you might have one or two that come every week. I mean, I don't really know how how groups how consistent groups stay, but let's say you have one or two of the same people every week but the other three people are completely different how invested are they going to be in these sure. decisions that they're making so on one hand i guess it's kind of good that it doesn't really matter what the decisions are but on the other hand it's like well why give me a fate a fate a false choice right it's mm-hmm. not really i don't yeah. know uh, well, go ahead well and then on top of it like they don't always necessarily even know they're making the choice because there were there were things where uh the dm knows that if the players make choice a over b that uh, the third, the third patron that mm-hmm. not necessarily obviously involved may still get some some effect movement. Out of it. Yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, so we'll have uh, some consequences apply to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, you're right, and and, and it, it, part of it reminds me a little bit of. I mean, I, as much as I absolutely adore the the sandboxy sort of attempt at it and the nature of it, uh, which I think is really interesting and, and makes me interested to try it out. Um, on the other hand, it reminds me a little bit of the old Avatar trilogy uh, series of adventures. Not the not the novels, but there was a series of adventures that was sort of was trying to do the Dragonlance thing with with it. You know, and you can read the novels or you can play the adventure yourself, sort of thing. <laughs> Except that the Avatar trilogy version of that was all the same characters from the novels are doing all the same things they did in the novels, and your 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 characters are there to sort of observe the story happening. You know, and and that's yeah. a little bit of what's happening here is that your players are there in the middle of of the thick of it to observe the story happening because one way or another you're reaching basically the same conclusion. Right. Yeah. Well, it's sort of. I mean, like with with almost every season of Encounters, like it will progress along regardless of whether the characters are there or not. Like there are sort of predetermined endings and everything mm-hmm. it feels more jarring with this one because it's sort of set up as a sandbox where uh choice and mm-hmm. player freedom is sort of emphasized but yeah that, that's why it feels as jarring as yeah. it is yeah, you're it's right. like, hey this feels mm-hmm. weird like right. you wouldn't question it in one of the previous uh seasons of encounters because it that's everything is about. kind of a railroad yeah right you go along with it and each session you come in mm-hmm. you play a bit you have a fight and you have some fun mm-hmm. yeah you're um, right yeah, I, also, I would have loved a little bit more of a system to it than 
Because mm-hmm. sometimes, I don't know how your experience has been playing it, like running it for people, but it feels too like sometimes... Also, I know... So, so the one thing that can happen is multiple patrons can get an additional digit or mark going yeah. closer to becoming the chosen of all. <laughs> yeah. So, but there's, but it would have been cool to have more of a system of deciding when they get that that mark because there could be other things that the players end up getting involved in that they decide to make up on their own that could also move it along. Or well, something. Oh yeah, and the, and there could right. always, I mean, it would be way more complex, and it's a lot easier to do this at your own table rather than in a published adventure, I think. But that seeing how adding the the ranks towards becoming the chosen of ball could modify their personality and behavior along the way as well. Mm-hmm. Would make that mm-hmm. would make that more meaningful. That said, one of the things I, I really like about the adventure is that there is this slow, gradual des- right. descent into insanity. You know, uh, and it's and, and it, it you basically have three patrons, all of which start the adventure as really good people doing the right thing for for good reasons, and by the end of it, are all villains doing horrible things, <laughs> still for good reasons. You know, it's, the, it's, another thing that would have been nice too is a page in in the adventure or some i don't know maybe they put it as a download something for the dm to fill out with the check marks because i know sometimes you with encounters you don't always have the same dm every week mm. right there's no place to keep track of any of this sure. in there mm-hmm. there's a thing it's, i'm going to try and do with the um the episodes that i'm putting up with these um mm-hmm. either at the very end of each episode probably i'm going to push them ahead to the introduction but um i'm going to have like a little uh, sort of like a bar graph type thing it's like who is in Ball's favor most often? Like, who has the so you're, most you're, points? You're going to go totally right. meta right. with that. Oh, yeah. No, and they, like, they're... Yeah. That's and cool. it, Tracy's right. They don't... They, they, it suggests in the book, oh, take out a piece of paper and keep track on it. It's like, what? Mm-hmm. <laughs> what do you mean, take out it's a piece of paper? Like, at the very least, give me a a detachable sheet that I could put a token on or something. I don't know. It just, if they're not yeah, going yeah, to give, give, give you encounter maps, why would they give you, give you a detachable well, that's, sheet to make Okay, but you're, prov- <laughs> you're proving my point though, right? Yeah, I mean, that's absolutely. my whole, that's my whole problem, right? And there, and there's not even, you know, it's not even that there's no encounter maps, no tokens, but there's no encounters in here. It'll say like, oh, you might run into some thugs and the word thug is bolded because that means that it's you can go to their downloaded sheet and get the that's for that person. But it doesn't say you should have a party of four players fight five of these thugs if you want them to have an easy encounter or fight eight of them if you want it to be challenging. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. There's nothing. It just says, oh, they might run into these. Or and, and that's they might, for advanced you know, DMs because an advanced DM could, could figure that out, but a beginning sure. DM is going to be lost. Right. But right. also but that's say that prep. Up front. That's yeah. prep, yeah. right? Yeah, you're right. The reason they probably didn't say that up front, um, even though, I mean, like, obviously, you read it through and you're like, oh, man, this, yeah, that's... I think every review of it so far has at some point saying this isn't for like new DMs. Like there's a lot going on here that you kind of have to improvise or make up on your own. Um, the reason they probably didn't do that is because when you go into a store and you see a product and they've got a little thing inside or on the cover, it says for experienced DMs, like that's a deterrent. Yeah. Well, like I can see a lot of people being turned off by that. So well, like, and it's just, why it's they just, didn't it's do the it, same, but yeah. It's the same reason for not saying that it's not 4E compatible because they don't want to they don't want to have to say that they don't that they're not catering to, you know, that they they're not putting this out to be used in 4th edition because really they're not. They made some stats, big whoopie doo. Woo, I could go pull out the monster vault and get stats for all these things. Right, and they also haven't included right. any quest rewards like 4E also had right. the whole XP yep. for 
major and minor quests. Mm-hmm. Yep. Nothing like that. So it's really not it's not a 4E product, but they didn't want to say it's not, so they put that it is. Just mm-hmm. like because it would be a deterrent, right? Well, if it, somebody, is, it is if, if you're advanced. Still has, <laughs> well, but if somebody still has a fourth edition group and they don't want to switch to next yet because it's in playtest mode, they're not going to buy a D&D next product. Mm-hmm. And if they're not playing 3.5, they're not going to buy a 3.5 product. Just like if they're a new DM, they're not going to buy a, a module or a product for advanced DMs, right? It's a deterrent. So instead of that, they just don't say. I mean, I get it from a marketing standpoint. You know, they want to sell as much mm-hmm. as they can. And let's be frank, they don't have a lot of products right now, you know, so... Yeah. Yeah. No, I yeah, I totally get it from the marketing thing, but at the same time, I I now I'm not looking for well, and I'm not I I don't know I. And I can I, I, I can I can get I, I can get it from yeah. a marketing standpoint, but as a consumer, I don't care about the marketing standpoint. I care about my experience as a, as a consumer. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, I'm just I'm just saying like I'm not trying to beat up on the designers or something. You know, the designers aren't in there saying oh, and we'll market it this way and it'll be great. Sure. You know, they're just making a product that they like, right. and that's fine. I can I have a like though, but I know we moved on the sandbox and railroad. But I no, want to no, see no, the but... the art. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. I, I, I found thought... it. I found it to be really art light though. It it is pretty art light, but they they made some conscious decisions throughout the artwork. I thought, like what of um of trying to show the different areas of Baldur's Gate mm-hmm. Gate and not just mm-hmm. like the have everyone be rich and and wait. They are, like they show I forget right. how to pronounce the name of the uh, Kalishim or something like that. Little Kalimshan. The little Kalimshan. Yeah, that that area. Well, and one of the main patrons is is dark skinned. So, um, although I do have a, a beef about that, so there's art on page 38 of of Koran, who is a an elven sort of mm-hmm. ex adventurer person who can serve as a as a, um, a, a, a a confidant or a, someone who can you know give information to, or to PCs prod, or whatever. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So what's over funny here, is guys. If, yeah, if you if you look at his picture. Um, he's like a pasty white guy with pointy ears, right? With he's thin, and then the description says, even though elves do not become obese, Koran's sumptuous <laughs> lifestyle has produced what some would call pudginess, especially around his face. I know, except I the that art is <laughs> not pudgy at all. That at all. That's, that's I was just like, been. you know what? I'm a human, and I can't, I can't recognize elven pudginess. <laughs> <laughs> right? Yes, yes, I'm blind to it. Right? Race. <laughs> No, and I, I and I felt like there are some of the descriptions of, like sometimes the words were not as good as the art to me, but mm. it was fine. Like I could work with it. Right. I well, say- and then you know, in the first two pages of the uh, of the actual adventure sheet, or the first three pages, I found like five or six typos. So you know, I mean, it's yeah. you know, it's gonna have stuff, but you know. Um, I will say this. Um, so the product costs what it does. Um, mm-hmm. In my opinion, and sort of the way that I run games and everything, um, I could take both of these books and just throw them away uh, if I could keep this DM screen. Uh, this is, I don't know if I would say it's worth the entire cost of the product, oh, yeah. but I <laughs> really like it. Yeah, I, I actually found the DM screen to be an interesting uh, add to the whole thing. because And and, and I didn't necessarily realize it was going to be in there when I opened it. It's like, oh, hey, cool, a DM screen. And it's a DM screen unlike any other DM screen I've ever seen before because it's not supporting a specific mechanic. You know, it's not mm-hmm. full of tables and things to, t- to tell me about, you know, the, oh, this is the DC for that or whatever, right? It's all about the story. It, the inside of the DM screen is the maps and the NPCs and all this interesting stuff that, that honestly is probably more useful to me as a DM than having the, the, the DC, you know, chart. Yeah. Right. Well, my favorite There's... thing about it is that 
the because um, this is one of my favorite things about D just in general i love random tables mm. um and on, on the inside of the dm screen there's random tables um mm-hmm. which i haven't seen in like i they're almost nowhere to be found in fourth edition products mm. um, i'm glad that hopefully they're going to at least make a little bit of a return with next mm-hmm I think it's worth noting because at this point we've talked about the edition differences. Which edition are you actually running it in, Kyle? Um, I am running it in D and D next. In um, next, I for okay for a bit of background and everything, um, and I can't remember how many times I've told this story, but um, <laughs> first time I played here, a little bit of D and D in high school. Um, I think it was third edition because I think third ed had come out around that time. Um, didn't really know a whole lot of what I was doing. I was just I was just happy to play. Mm-hmm. Like I was excited about it. Um, didn't play D and D for a bunch of years after that. Um, in my early twenties, I won all three, uh, sort of starting fourth edition books as a door prize. Hmm. Um, and my, uh, my wife at the time, um, she was like, Oh, you want some D do you want to get into D and I mean, like that sounds kind of cool. I can invite my friend over. We can play that. So fourth edition was like my favorite edition for a long time. Um, even though I'm super critical of it, like I recognize it has, um, yeah, we all see sports. Yeah, yeah. But um, I really like it. But um, I'm a really big fan of D and D Next. Um, I like that it's a little more mechanically interesting than, mm-hmm. say, previous previous editions. Um, most of the people I play on Google Plus with are old school Renaissance people. Mm-hmm. So they're coming from like the Mensner Red Box. They're mm-hmm. coming from like AD and D and like uh, playing Labyrinth Lord and Lamentations of the Flame Princess. Those are the kind of games that they're into. <laughs> Um, and I like introducing next to them. Like I've made a conversion chart. Um, so basically you can play in my, uh, like you can play in my seasons of murders and Baldur's gate with any kind of D and D character. Um, I have a little conversion thing where it's like, I can make it work for next. Mm. Cool. Uh, it's kind of hard with fourth edition, but mm, <laughs> you can make it work. Every other edition is not that difficult. There's a few quick swaps and you're pretty much good to go. Mm-hmm. Right on. Cool. All right. Well, what else do we have to say about it? So, uh, by the way, there's one of these DM screens in the next one, too, which I'm assuming is going to be similar idea where it's going to have the city information on it. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I imagine it'll be some. So I don't know if it'll be uh, city information or like about. Well, there's Ice, yeah, Icewind, about, Icewind, about Icewind Dale, Dale is a whole, the whole region. Yeah. I mean, it's not a, yeah. it's not an urban setting. So. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, there's like nine villages or something that they talk about. I'm whatever. Ten? Anyway, just to say that. So if it's you called, like the idea of the ten DM towns. screen, <laughs> the settlement whatever. is ten, ten towns. It has ten towns. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, <laughs> don't forget. I'm just going to edit you out. So that's true. Matter. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, if you like the idea of the DM screen, my point is, you know, it's a. So I don't know. I I kind of feel like. Um, I I have a love hate relationship with this product. Yeah, I really absolutely, do because absolutely. I I feel like you know some of it's really good. And if I just threw everything away and kept the campaign guide, and I really wanted to have a big city in my world, and I didn't know how to create it, and I didn't know how to add in interesting elements, I could just totally use this and go mm-hmm. with it. And it adds and, this, it, and it adds this whole great. interesting element of, of which is which is timely and you know ripped from the headlines sort of thing, right? Because the whole concept of Baldur's Gate as they built it is, is this concept of class warfare. Mm-hmm. I mean, you've got three patrons and one of them is lower class, one of them is middle class, and one of them represents the upper class. Mm-hmm. 
you know? and they all have their own motivations and they all have you know a means to an end and they're all trying that, to do what's best for yeah you know, they, they all they're all the good guy yeah and and i mean you know so you and the thing is uh, we keep saying it's not for beginning dms however if you are a beginning dm there is a reason to get it and that is that if you read this even just reading the the adventure part which is what 32 pages or something it gives you an idea of how you could possibly structure the spiraling downward of yes. a city yeah, and if really you well. if you if you're a new DM and you don't know anything about how you would possibly structure that, this would give you. I mean, it's not perfect, of course. We've we've already uncovered its warts, but it would give you an idea of how some different competing factions could do things in the town and believe that they are, you know. So one of the problems is a lot of times newer dms it's like really easy if you just make the villain totally evil and they're just evil and because they're evil everybody knows they're evil and everybody you know that's who you're going to destroy it's so easy to make that choice but in this you know as jeff keeps saying they're all the good guys they start out all as the good guys and that's a pretty interesting element to bring into your game if you're a new dm you know or a newer dm maybe not brand new but if you're a newer dm and you don't know how to do that this is actually a good example of that regardless of of its flaws it's a good example of how to make that happen and i actually expected the escalation to evil to happen a lot faster uh, and it and i was i was impressed with how how they made me anticipating that you know mm-hmm. it, it makes you know it makes that whole thing a lot more savory watching the the decline because it was so slow and because it's like oh oh i thought it was going to go there and it didn't and they're not they're still not the bad guy and Oh my gosh, I expected him to be bad by now. I mean, I think one of the patrons slides down that slide a lot faster than the others, but mm-hmm. but but all in general, I expected things to to go a lot worse a lot faster than they did, and yet there there's still a gradual uh and meaningful decline in the city that that I really enjoyed in this adventure. Yeah, I think waiting for it to go on sale and then picking it up and then doing all the exercises left for the reader would be cool. Mhm. I would say um, for for people picking it up, uh, one bit of advice that I, at least something that I did that uh, I think has helped um, make a random table of unless if your characters are big role players and everything they can do it themselves. But come up with reasons for why these your players are heading to Baldur's Gate. Why do they want to stay there? Mm. Um, I made a quick D10 table and everything about sort of like why why would you be coming to the city? Um, and the way my players rolled on it was one of them uh, inherited a large mansion in the uh, upper city, mm. uh, which gave, mm. them, uh, gave them all a place to stay, uh, but also a reason to, you know, if they don't work for Torland Silvershield in the upper city, gives them a reason to be there because mm-hmm. um, now they have the deed of property and everything. Also, the mansion's haunted because <laughs> a, a mansion, if it's called a mansion, it's always haunted. Um, another one of the things was one of the players was addicted to magical powders. So, and, uh, Baldur's Gate was, had like a thriving, uh, in the lower city, there is a thriving drug trade. Sure. So they're able to get their fix or they're able to find someone that is able to sort of wean them off of it. Um, and for other players and everything, it was, um, one of my players who's a huge role player, like he's not so much into combat, but he loves making a character. Um, he played a, a ship captain whose ship, he was uh, thrown in jail in Waterdeep, um, and his ship was uh, basically impounded in Baldur's Gate. So he's heading into the city to try and get his ship back. Mm. Um, of course, he got his ship back around, like, the second session, so we're going to have to wait and see if he's going to stick around. <laughs> um, yeah. yeah. That's one thing I would try and do, because then you can sort of, like, 
depending on those different motivations and how they will play off the different um, uh, patrons within the story, it'll help sort of ground them and make sure that there's a reason for them to keep going back. Aside from just like, hey, I'll pay you money to do right. X or Y. Absolutely, that's that's really good advice. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the only and, the only the only last thought I have on on the product is that it has renewed my interest in Baldur's Gate, and I have uh, started playing through the the original uh, <laughs> adventure on on my iPad because it's available on there now. So I've been I've been re-experiencing that um, and and really enjoying that. Just get some of the background. And Kyle, I think I was talking with you right on G Plus about using the news people to mm-hmm. to talk about what's mm-hmm. going on and providing yeah. hints of people they could talk to mm-hmm. to make it uh, a little less forced, I think. One of the things that I did was, um, because I'm running this over Google+, um, basically when I create an event for each session, um, there's a place for things to be posted. So um, basically, uh, instead of a recap, I have in the game, there is a, um, a sort of a news service called Baldur's Mouth. It's a town crier and a uh, hanging sheet. Uh, basically with that, I've said, um, I write in sort of like the Baldur's Mouth section and everything. Um, here's what's happened in the intervening week based on what you did. Um, like if they stopped vandals, there's was like, oh, vandals roaded in the lower city. Someone's <laughs> outraged while others are happy. Uh, and there are bits like, oh, now there's dueling happening. And basically just to keep players abreast of, hey, here's what's happening in the city around the time that you're playing. Mm-hmm. And... Also, it gives them sort of a, um, I guess, reinforcement that their decisions and actions have consequences and weight. Yeah, and I like that idea in any, in any game. Actually, I, I've been mm-hmm. doing something similar in my uh, in my um, next game, the campaign that I've been doing with Return to the Temple of Elemental Evil, just a, a regular newsletter to let them know sort of what's going on out in the world beyond their own adventures. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and for me, what was good about it too is because like we were talking about those NPCs that could provide the information that they mm-hmm. might want. You, you can put them in the news stories right? as like the person that witnessed it or, or something like that. And then, you know, you know how mm-hmm. players like to go after anybody who has a name. <laughs> <laughs> so can we talk about the actual, like the, fo- the formatting of the two books with the flimsy ass covers and the stupid slip cover? Yeah, let's do it. Yeah. Okay. I hate it. <laughs> I hate I couldn't it. Have stupid, that. This this the slipcover crap. Give me a break. So so here, here's here's what I did, um, and I did this partway through through fourth edition when they started doing more of that. Um, I came to the realization that that is not a slipcover. That is just packaging. Yeah, you throw that away. And I throw that away. And then at the table, I'm okay with the floppies because I can fold it. I can, you know, open it to the way I need to. I can beat it up, and, and I'm okay with that. So as an adventure, now I wouldn't want that from a, from a full supplement, but as an adventure, I'm perfectly okay with a a small floppy, and I don't care about the slipcover because I don't have it I'm, anymore. I don't, I'm okay with it being saddle stapled, you know, and not so thick that it's got to be perfect bound or any of that because I I like the way saddle stapled books open on the table and they usually stay open. Right. But give me a a slightly sturdier cover. Come on, afford some like thirty-pound cardstock or something. I mean, this—it's pathetic. It's worse I, I than mean, a magazine. I understand that they have to do this because it's Baldur's Gate and because it's like one of those prolific Forgotten Realm cities and everything. But I would have been perfectly happy if the adventure includes the DM screen, the um, the actual adventure, and instead of this campaign guide, they just said go buy Vornheim, the complete city kit, 
It will teach you how to run and make a city mm. by yourself in moments. Yeah, actually, because... I actually found the the campaign guide to be you know an interesting bit of information about the city. But I I feel like I learned enough about the city reading the adventure book in the adventure without yeah. without the campaign guide that I didn't really need the campaign guide at all. I fe- I felt well, like reading the adventure book I could have just run the adventure and been fine. So mm. here's the thing. I, I like the campaign book because, like I said, it, it sort of gives you mm-hmm. an idea of how to set up a city if you don't know how and how to present it. And, and it, the way it does the maps is really nice. But it's also oh, – it, yeah, it, it would be wonderful if they had another two or three encounter seasons w- in, the, in Baldur's Gate, right? <laughs> because sure. then, then mm. you would use the campaign guide. Sure. But right. as it is, it's not – really that useful in terms of for this particular game i find it a nice yeah it's it's nice a supplement for for being what it is a supplement that has kind of a campaign setting big city in it that you don't have to you know like vornheim is great but of course wizards won't tell you to buy that because they don't make it so (laughs) um but you know yeah i mean campaign guides to begin with because especially because i had to read through the entire thing and it's over 60 pages and stuff Mm -hmm. um i just i'm not a huge fan of how exhaustive um, a lot of campaign settings are. Um, well, this is like why they, I don't. This is why I don't play in Forgotten Realms because there's yeah. thirty freaking years of canon exactly. that I I don't know every single nook and cranny. And anytime you get any kind of information, it's Ed Greenwood's diary. Well, right? and, and actually, I, I I feel like the adventure was written as the adventure, and the campaign guide was written as. And because we know there are Forgotten Realms fans that are still mad mm-hmm. at us from Fourth Edition, right. here's our love letter to you. Please, yes. re- please remember that we love the realms too, <laughs> you know, and that's yeah. what the, that's what the yes. campaign guide was. It was for you, for you, big realms fans out there. This is what you thought you were missing. Well, let me actually give you some more context for that. Okay, the brand manager. Remember, he said that Forgotten Realms is like the main setting for the next two to three, four years mm-hmm. for D and D next. So this sets that stage pretty well. Mm-hmm. It's not just a love letter to please forgive us for the fourth edition fiasco of the Forgotten Realms that everybody hated. You know, it's also, hey look, and now we're going to put out Forgotten Realms crap for the next four years. But so <laughs> the campaign yes, guide Tracy. Really, <laughs> campaign guide also really annoyed me. And I, I don't know. I'm going to say it now because yes, so it. we were talking about how in depth it is because it, it goes pretty in depth for something that's 68 pages and part of mm-hmm. one adventure, right? Mm. But and and it does point out that there are lamp lads and lamp lasses, and there are men and women who carry stuff around the the market and everything else. But you learn very little about the lives of women in in Baldur's Gate, mm-hmm. like. It, I learn a lot about how all the noble men spend their time, <laughs> but I don't know how any of the noble women spend their time. Well, Tracy, uh, it's like Sparta. They all have to be inside, pasty white and pale. But that's, that's the problem. <laughs> no, they don't. I know. I know. That's, that's my – I know. I'm being facetious they, they because that's They set up this whole thing idea. where everybody works. Right. And I think I, I wonder and, – and, and I'd, I'd have to go back and, and look at it more detail. I could be completely wrong. I wonder if part of that isn't – um, you know, Ed Greenwood's vi- and Ed was involved in the writing of this as well. And his right. vision of the realms was always that, well, if men are doing it, so are women, and they're completely equal in every in every way. Um, so if they're describing what the noblemen are doing, then the noblemen are probably doing the same thing, and so they're just using noblemen to mean you know people as as you know we do. Uh, then why not say noble people? Well, but, because that's then, not a common use of of the word. That's not so. 
But then it also <laughs> falls apart at things like Umberly, where they're talking about the priestesses. Uh, many of them are the widows who are left penniless because their husbands drowned at sea. Yeah, right. And so, like, it's not terrible or anything, but there's this this dissonance there for me. Yeah, like, uh, yeah. And that, I remember, Tracy, when you posted that on Google+, Plus, like, I... For the most part, I'm like, I, I'm pretty much on the same page as you with this. Um, but when you posted that, it got me thinking about that because I don't think I had actually thought about that. I just, you know, read the section about Umberly and about how the, um, I forget what they're called. There's something like Wave Sisters or something. But basically, the um, the Temple of Umberly, uh, who is a sort of like a sea monster goddess who, you know, the people of Baldur's Gate re- um, revere because, you know, it's a port town. Um, right. They um, they revere her, and basically there is a whole section where they take care of the widows of sailors who have been lost at sea. And yeah, that does create a little bit of dissidence right. when you think of like, well, if this is the you know equal opportunities forgotten realms where men and women are on equal footing mm-hmm. all across the board, uh, women sailors clearly must make up you know a almost equal portion yeah. of sailors who's taking so, care of the the widowed husbands. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and yeah, I think it's it's. It made me think about that because it's like it's not explicitly stated in the book. There is a little bit of bias in there. I think sure. it's unintentional, yeah. but it's still there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I don't mean it as an attack or anything, but it is. It does start getting to me a little bit. <laughs> sure. Yeah. yeah it, it's worth it's worth noting. It's worth mentioning, and it's worth saying. Hey, next product, maybe think about this. Maybe yeah. put that in there as well. Mm-hmm. You know, it wouldn't hurt. Right. Well, I'm sure the every the entire. Uh, department over at Watsi will be listening to this episode and and they'll take that into consideration and make sure it's all better well because let me let me read this passage just so that everybody gets an idea of what we're talking about okay it's on page 48 and it says the temple gains most of its clergy from among widowed females whose husbands were lost at sea or young girls orphaned by water-related tragedies this practice strikes some observers as odd but the priestesses who can sympathize from similar experience are glad to take in feed and clothe individuals who are suddenly rendered homeless so if a man drowns at sea his wife suddenly doesn't get any of that property is basically what that says mm-hmm. well and she had uh, she hasn't been working then right because right, absolutely well she has no rights whatsoever she is not allowed to own property she has nowhere to go so she's mm-hmm. suddenly homeless has to be taken in by the i mean it's a very sort of you know well i mean i i, I get what they're trying to do i mean that that's that's an evocative story element that, sure. that plays into some big things and 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 and, yeah. and it's, it can be interesting and all that kind of stuff and i get that mm-hmm. but i also completely understand that that if the realms is what we've always been told the realms is in terms of of gender differences um mm-hmm. that does kind of but but jeff pretend like you haven't been told anything yet and you're reading this <laughs> no, I understand. You, nobody, nobody knows what you know. Well, right. So if I'm reading it and I haven't, and I don't know what I what I do know, mm-hmm. then I'm reading it and and I'm not noticing the distance at all. It just feels like you know medieval Europe to me because that's right. the way things were. Right, but that's the problem. That, is but that's not saying. just the problem with this book. That's a problem with a lot of sure. uh, not just medieval, sure. yep. you know, like medieval fantasy fiction, but a lot of like medieval fantasy games as well. It's like you want, on one hand, you want it to be you know as inclusive as possible but at the same time you're also emulating uh fantasies that are based around medieval culture and medieval culture is uh, for many reasons somewhat sexist or very sexist yeah. <laughs> um, right but so i guess okay but here's the thing it doesn't there. but it doesn't have to be you're modeling it after that because you want that time period. You want it to where there's no guns and there's no, you know, democracy or whatever. You're not modeling it that way so that you can, you know, have 
women that don't have equal standing with men. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, you're not modeling it that way. Well, there's goblins and there's elves. Did you model that after medieval stuff too? I mean, you know what I'm saying? Like, I'm not, I don't mean you, Kyle, necessarily. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just saying no. you're, you're making a common argument, but I'm sorry, that argument doesn't fly. It's, well, no, no, it's, 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 it's an interesting point. I don't know that it's one that we're going to resolve here, um, I, but it is worth noting that, that there is some dissonance between um, what we've been told the realms is, the way the realms is working, and does this need to be the, the realm, what the realms is? You know? and, and so, yeah, I think that that's questions worth, worth uh, asking. Yeah. Any well, other thoughts on the product? I, well, I feel like we've been kind of down on it, but I mean, like, it's a very, <laughs> no, very divisive product. It's, the, it's that love-hate thing, right? The, the parts that yeah. I love, I really love, and the parts that mm-hmm. I don't like, I really don't like. Which is why I'm interested in, in hearing more about, about your experiences as you go through it, because mm-hmm. I think the things that I don't like are the things that I'm like, I don't know if that's going to work at the table. And I'm curious to hear how it goes and, and, and to, to watch the videos and all that, because I want to see how it actually goes. I will say that um, because I have running it and I'm going to run the entire thing and everything online uh, and people can watch that, um, I've had a ton of fun running it. Um, like any kind of adventure, I mean, like it's always infused with, you know, your own sort of sensibilities and, and quirks and things that you like in your games and things. Um, but yeah, I'm having a blast with it. Um, it is a sandbox and my players are bringing a, like a fair amount to it. Um, for the most part, I think it's going to continue along the path of basically what's written in these books. Um, but who knows? A couple of players might come in and say, hey, I want to kill off What's-Your-Face or uh, that guy <laughs> with the huge nose. And that could drastically change the way that the game runs. Um, but I'm looking forward to it. Right on. I think that's, nice. a, that's awesome. a good place to, yeah. to wrap up our review. So uh, we'd like to say thank you to our sponsor, Noble Knight, as well as our reviewers that joined us, uh, Sam Dillon. Sam, where can people find you? Anything other than you want to anything you want, you yeah. want to pimp other than this show? Uh, you can find me at rpgmusings.com, and you can find me on Twitter at DM Samuel, and you can find me on on another podcast. I'm a promiscuous podcaster. I'm on the the Play on Target podcast, so you can find that at playontarget.com. Awesome. And also thanks to Kyle Chenier. Uh, where can people find your stuff? Um, I do a bunch of gaming things on Dungeons and Donuts. Uh, it's just dungeonsdonuts.tumblr.com. Um, you can find pre-generated characters, you can find maps, all kinds of cool gaming goodies uh, that aren't, uh, don't do a lot of reviews or a lot of other things. It's a lot of visual content as opposed to text. Very cool. And if anybody out there wants to get a hold of us, you can email us at thetomeshow at gmail.com. Call into the biz line at 919-BIZ-TOME. That's 919-B-I-Z-T-O-M-E. And if you want to find show notes and other great Tome Show shows, you can do so over at thetomeshow.com. That is episode 224, where this very podcast has become the new chosen of all by reviewing murder and Boulder <laughs> in this episode of The Tome, 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 The Tome. I'm also a